This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. We're back. Let me welcome Don Calloway back in, my partner in Power This Wellness Wednesday, and the author of Drug Use for Grownups, Columbia University professor, back in the house, Dr. Carl Hart. Welcome back. Uh oh. Unmute. <laughs> Unmute. What Thanks for having me, snap? Karen. I'm sorry yes. about that. No, no uh, problem. No problem. D- Don acted like we were in a poetry slam. He started snapping. I don't know what that was about, but yeah, he's like, let's get it. Let's get it. Hi, you, you, you're, you're back and I appreciate you. Well, I, I do the same for you and Don as well, because, you know, it was you two who actually kind of got the truth out. So I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be back and also to appreciate the original opportunity. So thank you so much. Well, listen, I, then you can't, you went on our, our brother Clay Kane, whose show was right before mine. And that was even better in my opinion, because Clay read your book. So, <laughs> so he came in, he came in chapter and verse ready and, uh, you know, really, I think, uh, allow for you to have a conversation that I thought was important. You're back because I think we need to continue to have this conversation, especially in light of the demonization of our brother George Floyd for having opioids in his system. So I thought it would be, and I didn't know this was, the, we were going to be in the midst of this Derek Chauvin trial when we invited you back, but look at God. So here we are. Um, talk a little bit about your assessment of this trial in the bringing in of the drug use of George Floyd as a defense for what Derek Chauvin did. Well, I don't know if you know, but I wrote an op-ed back in June or July in the New York Times on this very issue. Um, and the title was, is like, we know what killed George Floyd and it wasn't drugs. Um, I did that because my book uh, details how uh, police and the state use drugs or scapegoat drugs whenever a black person is killed or whenever someone who is of low status is killed, they go to this sort of uh, drug crazed Negro defense. Uh, it was the drug that did it, not the nine minutes of this guy's knee on uh, George Floyd's neck. And so what I did was I went and got the toxicology of George Floyd to see exactly what was in his blood. And he certainly, he had THC, which is the uh, chemical uh, for marijuana. He had fentanyl, he had methamphetamine in his blood. Um, But what's in the blood does not tell you about the person's behavior. And the levels of drugs that were in his blood, you can't tell uh, because you know nothing about the person's level of of tolerance. Uh, So like one dose that will kill someone uh, will be a a dose that makes someone else happy. And so the most important thing for us to look at is George Floyd's behavior. Or he didn't even know that he was still feeling the effects of these drugs that were in his system. Well, this is why it's important. This is why I know that the ancestors are involved. Today's trial spoke to this because they talked to the clerk uh, who took the $20 bill and they asked what was, well, he was in, he was affable. He was friendly. You know, exactly. the guy, the kid said he's 19. He, he seemed to be high, which I, I was like, eh, I didn't like that, but high from a happy, not a high aggressive high. What? I don't know. You know, but he well, said, you know, he was, he, he was, uh, he was balanced. He did. He wasn't off balanced. It wasn't like he was crazed or anything. Speak to that. I'm sorry. Well, you know, Karen, it's like when we think about the blood, like I had uh, some rum last night, for example. So I will have alcohol in my system today. 
Now, someone will say, well, he looks like he's high. They can say whatever they want to say. As long as I'm behaving uh, appropriately, and I'm certainly not out of breath like uh, uh, you would be if someone chokes you. Uh, the important point that I tried to get people to look at in the New York Times piece is that how George Floyd was behaving when, when, when he was uh, attacked by the police. He was saying, please, I can't breathe. That's someone behaving like you would expect a normal person to behave. Uh, he got out of the car when they asked him to get out of the car. And the most important thing is, is he was breathing before the guy put his knee on his neck. Uh, and so I, I knew this was coming. That's why I wrote the piece back in June. Uh, I, I did this when, when we think about Philando uh, uh, Castile, another guy who was killed in uh, uh, Minneapolis, uh, Laquan uh, McDonald's, uh, the kid who was killed in Chicago where they shot him 16 times. Same thing. They go to the toxicology. There was a brother in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Terrence Crutcher. Uh, yes. He got shot by this cop, Betty Jo Shelby. She got off. He's dead, uh, but they found PCP in the system, even though we saw it all on the video. He was acting normal. He was not acting aggressive or any of that. But they always go to the toxicology. Eric Garner was choked to death by Pantaleo because he was selling loose cigarettes, right? In, in your case, it's the toxicology. But in general, there is an immediate rush to find something other than the precise proximate cause of what killed these guys. Exactly. So the, the, the piece I wrote in the New York Times was like, don't be fooled by the toxicology because it's coming. And sure enough, it came. Uh, I also, I even talked to the prosecutors in, in Minneapolis over the summer before this trial happened, because uh, hopefully to help them understand how these things work. So we'll see how it plays out. But the bottom line is people, believe your eyes, don't believe the lies. Mm. We're talking with Dr. Carl Hart. Of course, Don Calloway is here as well. The number is 866-801-8255. If you have any comments or questions, please call. Um, uh, Terrence Crusher's uh, twin sister, Dr. Crutcher, uh, is, a, is a family member here on the Karen Hunter Show. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked quite frequently. The notion that black people are high, and you, talk, you, you talked about a little bit last time you were here, black people turn into these superhuman, like this is the myth. And this is where I'm like, I, I really feel like we need to double down on the tropes and, and the narratives around how black people are perceived and how how uh, even D.W. Griffith, how we have been demonized in a way or myth mythologized. Um, talk to that. Talk to even you talked last time. I think Coca-Cola used to have cocaine in it. And once they bottled it, they were like, oh, black people have access to this drug. So let's demonize black people become bulletproof when they get this Coca-Cola in their system. This is part of the narrative that George Floyd was uncontainable because he had this toxicology. Absolutely. So if we just go back through our history, the first drug laws that were passed in this country, the first national laws were passed in 1914. Uh, they tried to get that same law passed in 1909. It wasn't happening because Congress was in no mood to have the federal government tell the states what to do. So in order to get the law passed, what they did was they concocted these stories about black men who were taking cocaine and then they developed superhuman strength where they were unaffected by 32 caliber bullets. And so throughout the South, even the New York Times was reporting this sort of thing, uh, Southern police uh, groups uh, changed to a higher caliber weapons to deal with this 
uh, mythical uh, black coconized person. Uh, and, and it worked because in 1914, uh, when the hearings were had at Congress, this was said repeatedly and this, this law passed and it became the first national drug laws that restricted drugs in this country. So the important point here is that drug laws, uh, drugs are not banned because of pharmacology, drugs are banned because of racism, the same racism that we see today. So that's one, that's one of the major points of the book to try to help people understand how we've been played and how we continue to be played. Our community is being played uh, and drugs function as this sort of tool so people can come through and just uh, take advantage of the community in any way they want to, as long as we say drugs were involved. I, I just want to point out something that I think um, you kind of brushed past or we moved past quickly, which is you spoke with the prosecutors in Minnesota. There is an important subtext here that whether or not one believes with your, uh, one jives with your overall stance on the recreational use of drugs, you have taken your expertise and proactively applied it in service of Black folks and in service of the administration of justice for Black folks. And I think that's extraordinarily important to pause and highlight because these are people who are prosecuting a case that has tremendous ramifications across the board for the administration of justice, not only in this case, but for police authority in this country. So for you to have had this expertise, sought them out, attempted to break them off with a little bit of what you know, such that it can be applied to administer justice in this matter is huge. And, and we should underscore that. And it shows not only can you do that in a multitude of other matters in this country based on your expertise, but it goes back to something that I consistently talk about uh, on this show and in other forums, which is when you have an expertise, no matter what you know about, there is a place to apply your expertise in service of justice for black people in this country. Whatever your universe of expertise is, your name gonna be called. It will be called because in a country that's built exclusively by, for, and of white men for them to participate in, everything is unfair. Everything is fundamentally unfair. So I don't care what you know, there is a time for you to apply your expertise in service of justice. So I appreciate you doing that, Dr. Hart. Well, I appreciate you saying it, Don, because you know one of the things we were taught is that, well, they can't take away your education. This is what my grandmother would say. And so that she always instilled uh, education. But the thing is, what they do is they try and go after your reputation. And that's the thing that really has upset me in recent weeks about this whole thing. I mean, the fact is every day at Columbia, we give drugs like heroin, we give drugs like methamphetamine, we give drugs like crack cocaine without incident. And we do it with taxpayers' dollars. Nobody's saying anything about these sort of things. And we do that so we can have an understanding of what these drugs do and what they don't do. Everyone Who are you giving is, them to? We're giving them Before to we... research volunteers, uh, research volunteers, people who have a history of drug use, the drugs that we're studying, and they're carefully, they have medical examinations beforehand, so we're, they're carefully screened, uh, these participants. But the point is, is that we have a huge scientific database on these drugs, and everyone in science knows it. But the problem is, is that there are few people in science who look like me, Black people, and who come from places like where I come from. And so when you see 
the lies and the carnage that has happened as a result of the lies about drugs. And you, you, have, you feel compelled. I feel compelled to speak out. But I could have just shut up and collected my money and uh, continue to publish in the scientific literature, uh, which I still do, but I could have just not said anything. I'm good. But how can you do that in good faith when you know that what you are doing every day and what you see every day, now somebody is saying that, oh no, when these people do it, it's different. It's completely different. That's, so that's, that's the thing I tried to highlight in the new book. Mm. We're here. Uh, the new book is Drug Use for Grownups. Dr. Hart is here, and you can follow him at Dr. Carl Hart, H-A-R-T. Um, you know, I-, I was having this conversation because on Saturday in class with Carl, we're going to have a deep dive into hell and Satan. We're going to talk about hell and Satan and religion and black folk and, and our relationship to these notions of religion. And much like religion, we've also been indoctrinated into what, you know, I'm a firm believer of being sober. I don't, uh, and I'm a firm believer of it because I I know that alcohol is how the Native Americans got, got in many ways, disease and alcohol, and genocide, and it made it easy. And I know that on plantations, on the weekends and during the Christmas holiday, uh, the slave owners um, plied the enslaved people with alcohol. And Booker T. Washington writes about it in Up From Slavery, that those who didn't participate were were beaten. Those who didn't participate in the alcohol and, and the folly were uh, looked upon suspiciously by the slave owners. So I know that there's something nefarious about us being hooked and that Nixon and Ehrlichman and Reagan after him and before Nixon, that there was always this this plan. We're going to give the hippies this marijuana. We're going to flood the black communities with heroin. We're going to flood the black community with crack cocaine. And, 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 and this is how we get them. So I have a hard time, and you know how I feel about it. But I also understand that we can do two things at one time. We can walk and chew gum. So we have to be able to have these conversations as adults, but also recognize that the design is always to keep us anesthetized, to keep us distracted, to keep us uneducated. Uh, so I'd like to have this conversation with that as the backdrop. Can you speak a bit to the designs to keep us in these uh, inebriated states? Well, Karen, I'm glad, you know, it's good to have this conversation with you because, uh, uh, you know, that perspective, that's the, the perspective in which I grew up. You know, I grew up in the Black church and so forth. Um, tell, and, tell us a little bit before before you answer. Uh, who is Carl Hart? Tell you, because where I come from, I know I know geographically where you come from, but tell us, tell us who yeah, you are. Yeah, so uh, uh, I grew up in Miami. Uh, my dad's family's from the Bahamas. My mom's family's from South Carolina. The Geechee's from South Carolina. And so, you know, both of the sides of the family were deeply religious. Seven-day Adventists on the uh, Bahamian side and the Southern Baptists on the uh, my mom's side. Uh, and so, you know, we had to go to church every Sunday and every Saturday when I'm at my grandmother's house. And so... Uh, I grew up in a, in a situation where we uh, also believed that uh, you shouldn't be psychoactively altered, the drugs were bad. Uh, I believe that sort of thing. Um, and, I, and so it's good to hear your perspective too, because you know it's been several years since I've been removed from that. Although when I go back to the crib, you know that still kind of uh, is there. But you know people are 
struggling with that. They, they, they preach one thing on uh, Sunday, but on other days, you know, they do other things. And so no judgment here. And because judgment was so harsh growing up is that I wanted nothing to do with the church because it's like if you had impure thoughts, you were going to hell. And Lord knows I have plenty of impure thoughts. And, you know, but I don't, don't doesn't mean that I'm going to act on them. Uh, but the point is, is that I'm glad to hear your perspective too, because it reminds me of one of the things that I did in this book is I traveled around the world from like black Brazil, which is blacker than any place except Nigeria. I mean, uh, uh, only Nigeria is blacker I mean, and Ireland, which is white. And you just, so you travel, I, I travel all over the world. And, and the thing that is clear, there are far more drugs, far more inebriants in white communities than black communities. And so when we think about like uh, whether or not these drugs are there to imprison people, that's not why they're, that's not why they're there. Um, it, drugs are not the reason people are imprisoned. People are imprisoned because of really basic things. Who's allowed into the job market? Because if, if you allow people into the job market and to be participants, uh, it's hard to imprison you when you have gainful employment. But when you exclude people, like you said, oh, you tested positive for marijuana. We're really just excluding you from this job market. That's, what, that's the main thing. So when we focus on the drugs, we're focusing on the behavior that is not the most relevant behavior. The most relevant behavior are you treating people with dignity and can they participate in a society where they have gainful employment so they can take care of their family, so they can have dignity? That's the relevant behavior. And that's what I'm trying to get people to focus on. Like, I don't care if people use drugs, but I do care that people are respectful to other people, that they treat other people well, that they take care of their responsibilities. All those things are far more important to me than what they put in their system. Don Calloway is here. Dr. Hart is here as well. Uh, but you didn't speak to what I was saying, though. If if drugs are, are not used as a tool to be weaponized against Black empowerment or Black improvement, I remember growing up um, in my neighborhood, there was a, a billboard with uh, Marlboro and then Cool. And I remember driving, my dad had me, you know, we were driving in a white neighborhood and I noticed number one, there were no billboards of any alcohol, uh, any cigarettes. There were no liquor stores on every corner and no fast food joints on every corner in a white neighborhood. And, and it got me thinking as a teenager, like, this is odd. How come the white kids don't have to, or people don't have to look at billboards pushing alcohol and cigarettes to them? And yet in my neighborhood, the billboard right there at the train as I'm going underneath the, you know, to go to the corner store, right there, giant billboard. I think we have to address that a little bit, right? That right. this was You're a right. willful campaign, not just to demonize, but to set a trap because everybody's taking those same drug uh, tests to get hired. So, you know, are we either we're more inclined to take the, the marijuana or, you know, uh, or we're not. And if this isn't willful, you know, I just keep talking about how we participate in our own demise. And in many ways, I feel like when we do these things, and I'm not, I don't want to deny any human being the right to do whatever they want. You do whatever you want with your body. But collectively, this has been since enslavement here. The, the plan. And why are we participating in a plan? 
Karen, you're right. I mean, the marketing, uh, I can't argue with you about like tobacco marketing. That's right. The sophisticated marketing techniques to target specific groups. Uh, that is absolutely right. I mean, whether it's Nike, whether it's Marlboro, whether it's Coca-Cola, whoever it is, uh, they have these sophisticated marketing techniques. I mean, I think about Geico, they have these sophisticated ads. That's what they do. That's what we in this country, I think it's we, we are uh, the, the motto is let the buyer beware. Uh, and so you're absolutely right. Uh, but the thing is, we, we have to be careful in thinking about like, okay, uh, what uh, we are not intelligent enough to know how to say no to these sorts of things. Uh, no, that's not good for me. And so I'm not going to take it. So I need somebody to protect me in that um, they will make the decision for me. So that's the, that's the choice that we have here. So it's like, okay, black people, you're not smart enough. And so we're gonna make sure that you don't have, have access to this because you can't handle this. Is that what we're saying? Uh, no, we're saying okay. stop putting the billboards in our community and stop bombarding our children and, and stop having our children line up for these drugs in school getting them hooked like let's stop let's stop allowing for for the not just the flooding into our community but like you said more white people not just per capita you know but per capita are they have they but they don't enforce at all so there is a pipeline to prison on purpose Absolutely. and again like I, i'm not saying yeah but if this is the case that we are being targeted then so how do we respond to that? You yeah, know, because no, just saying no doesn't work. No, you're right, Karen. And so like with the tobacco thing, one of the things that we've been trying to do is have legislation to ban those billboards in, in these communities. So absolutely, uh, people are working on that. And I think they were successful in many places in doing that sort of thing. You're absolutely right. And then you raise another issue about targeting specific groups uh, for enforcement of, of drug laws. I mean, that's a big problem. That's a problem that continues today. I mean, like in New York, I think we just voted today uh, to legalize marijuana in part because of this differential uh, uh, or selective uh, enforcement of marijuana laws. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, we have to make sure that that's one of the things as we legalize marijuana around the country. I've been asking people to make sure that if they put in these new laws, they have some sort of check on the police that where the police have to make sure that they show the statistics of who are who are they arresting make it a public thing so when we start to see the racial discrimination that's happening in arrest we can do something about it but these numbers are always kept hidden until somebody does a report somebody does a deep dive we don't know um, and so that's what i hope these new laws start to have in them Places where the police have to make public their arrest, the race of the people that they're arresting and the numbers. So, Doc, can you talk about, um, aside from the recent wave, and, and, and in, historically it's recent in, in the, against the backdrop of all of American history, aside from the recent wave of marijuana legalization, right, and Oregon being the outlier in legalizing everything, right, can you talk about how the distinction between alcohol and tobacco alcohol and tobacco quote unquote legal and other schedule whatever schedule c i guess federal drugs being illegal how did that come to be you clearly know the history of cocaine and and, and criminalization of recreational drugs 
when did the distinction happen between alcohol and other drugs, given what we know about alcohol being every bit as deadly, far more abused, um, and, you know, either acutely deadly or over the long term deadly in terms of the derog derogation of the body? Yeah, so uh, answer, I just want to just make a not a distinction. Oregon did not legalize; they just decriminalized all drugs. Correct. So they didn't yeah, legalize yeah. all; they just decriminalized. No, very yeah, important sorry. distinction. You're right, Karen. That's right. Uh, so when we think about the history of this, uh, the first thing that we need to understand is that uh, tobacco was uh, excluded from all drug laws. That that was done in the early 1900s. So tobacco would never be considered a drug. The nicotine and tobacco is not considered a drug. So the FDA could not uh, regulate the tobacco. It's excluded. It's an agricultural is it, product. Is it a drug, though? Is of it a drug? Of course it's a product. Of course it's a drug. Okay. Uh, so because of the planters in Virginia and other places, that drug is not considered a drug because That's of the right. economy that tobacco brought to America, particularly in the early 1700s. That's right. Because of the because of the Southern power brokers who had tobacco farms, they lobbied Congress. Some of them were in Congress. They got tobacco to be excluded. So tobacco, it will never be considered a drug in the country because it's one of those exclusions. Now with alcohol, we went after alcohol, particularly around World War One. Uh, because a lot of the Germans owned uh, the, the bars and the breweries and uh, we didn't like the Germans. So the Germans were the target group. So we actually banned alcohol in 1919 uh, and we banned alcohol from 1919 to 1933. We uh, decided to overturn prohibition because people were drinking anyway. And we also had this promise of the taxes from alcohol. We said that, uh, okay, if we overturn uh, prohibition, we will, uh, there will be no more income tax. And so the American public went for that. Um, of course, we still have income tax, uh, but, but that, so alcohol was considered and seen as a drug, just like everything else, like it is. Uh, but uh, the, the, and alcohol had a lobby. They had had people who were making the product, making money from it, who wanted it to be legal. Whereas cocaine had been so, so, so closely associated with black people in the press, the white sort of power brokers weren't really trying to advocate for this drug because that it had this stain, this racial stain. And then we, uh, then we can think about things like uh, the opioids. Uh, opioids had a similar sort of stain uh, with the Chinese merchants, uh, the Chinese opium den owners. One of the things that uh, the American uh, business, white businessman tried to do was that they, we got laws to say that white people could not uh, be patriots in the Chinese opium dens. Uh, and then that way uh, they would shut down the, the Chinese opium uh, operators. Eventually they did. And they associated the opium or the opioid drugs with the Chinese. And eventually they uh, outlawed uh, many of those drugs. Uh, and then later, uh, 20 years later in the 1930s or so, did the same thing with marijuana, closely associated with black people, with Mexican Americans. And it didn't have an, uh, a lobby. And so those drugs didn't have a lobby. And so as a result, it, it, it sounds to me, and I used to work for the biggest alcohol brand in the world for a long time. It sounds to me that you can draw this distinction with alcohol being conflated with, you know, German ownership and the bars and, 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 uh, and pubs and whatnot and Irish pubs, German, you know, brewery owners 
that sounds a whole lot like when various white ethnic groups became white, right? And became Absolutely. homogenized. Therefore, no, let us no longer demonize, let us no longer, you know, uh, uh, illegalize what they're doing, right? Because they are now all of us. Absolutely. That is to be distinguished from them. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So the Germans uh, eventually became white, the uh, Irish eventually became white. And so it's, it's us making money again, uh, whereas those other drugs, uh, they still had the negative association with black and Mexican Americans. And so uh, you didn't have anybody to champion those costs. But to be clear, they are all chemicals that alter the functioning of the brain in some way and your mood and behavior. And so when people make these distinctions, those are artificial distinctions. The body doesn't make those kind of distinctions. This is uh, sociology and not uh, biology, basically. And so that's the important point. It's like when people think, make these distinctions and say, well, this drug is illegal versus this one, that's artificial. That's not that's not a real thing. That's a, a human made kind of thing. And it's a human made thing in order to uh, perpetuate, in order to uh, 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 facilitate our American racism. Dr. Hart is here. Carl Hart, I'm going to take a call. Keith of Virginia, welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hello, Karen. Um, hello, hey. Dr. Hart. How are you all? Hello. Great, great, great. Karen, I. I just think you're spot on with the um, with your analogy when you were growing up and seeing those ads. I watch a lot of golf. I play a lot of golf. And I notice all the time when I'm watching the golf channel or when I'm watching golf on TV, I never see liquor ads. I never see ads that are catering to um, people of color when it comes to alcohol and when it comes to um you know, things like that of that nature, the dancing and, and, and what have you. But when I watch the Golf Channel, it's like, okay, well, now we're talking about Lexuses, we're talking about Rolex watches, we're talking about Nike, but we're not talking about liquor. So I, I'm just wanted to chime in and say, I, I think you're spot on with that particular point. Thank you all. Okay. I appreciate I, you, Keith. Brother Keith, much respect. I do have one more question as an offshoot. While we're talking about marketing, while we're talking about the distinction between quote unquote illegal drugs, alcohol, tobacco, why are we the ones that smoke menthols? I've never smoked cigarettes, but you know, I, I see the menthol situation has taken a distinct, you know, hold in black communities, and that certainly predates each of us. Can you speak to that? Yeah, it's just a sort of a, a, a preference based on, you, you know, like menthol has a certain taste, a certain hardness. And so you have to be, uh, I don't know, you, you if you smoke Marlboro, for example, you must be white. You, you, you know, uh, mainly white people smoke Marlboro. And so you don't yeah. want to be associated with that. And so you have to smoke Newport or cool menthol or something that, to be really down. It, it's just, it, you know, it, it's, it's like where it's back it's, to the marketing. It's marketing. And, you know, the a point that Keith made, that's a really good point. Uh, so in 1971, one of the one of the things that the tobacco companies did in order to fend um, uh, off uh, any regulation, what they said, they they had this voluntary ban on TV ads. So they would not advertise on TV. Uh, so you don't see any tobacco ads on TVs. You haven't seen them since 1971. But what they do instead, what they, what they had did at the time, what they did instead was that they put their ads in movies. 
So your favorite star would be smoking their brand of cigarettes. And you, and you said, you said, why are they smoking cigarettes? Because that's part of their advertisement. Um, the same is true with hard liquor. They also had a volunteer ban on TV uh, uh, advertisements. So they do these things, but then they figure out ways to advertise in more subtle ways. Uh, so when you watch a movie, just look for those sort of cues. Or when you're watching a sporting event, uh, you see around the arena, do you see a, a tobacco advertisement? So that's how they do it. We have Dr. Hart with us. Of course, my partner in power, Don Calloway, which you, you can follow him at DCSTL on the Twitters. You can follow Dr. Hart at Dr. Carl Hart. H-A-R-T on the Twitters. Let's, uh, let's go to uh, Mustafa in Atlanta. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hello, Karen. Hey. Uh, best to you and your guests. I wanted to speak Thank on you. a couple of things. Uh, the opioid, uh, I dealt with that in, in, in real time. I, had a, uh, I was a back patient. And uh, when, when these kids started going into parents' uh, medicine cabinets and stealing them, that's where it started. And then they would go out and they would drink and, you know, they got in trouble. And that's the only reason. But there's so much talk about the opioids because who was being affected? It was it was the young white kids and their families. Uh, that's a fact. And I, I uh, took myself off of them because it created such a culture that uh, I didn't want, I, I, you know, I wanted to find something else. And the tobacco, uh, menthol started going in tobacco because they put it into the worst tobacco products to give it flavor. That's where the menthol cigarettes come from. Uh, okay, well, thank you. Thank you for, for that. Uh, Dr. Hart, is that, you know, is that your understanding also all of the other stuff? Why do they need all that other stuff? The yeah. the tar, the tar yeah. and the nicotine. <laughs> yeah, so, so tobacco has about oh, 4,000 chemicals in them, you know, but the important ones are things like ammonia, um, and these products are in tobacco in order to get the drug out of the bloodstream and into the brain quicker. That's the main reason that wow. they're there. And then flavor is next, but it's really about nicotine delivery mechanisms. That's the main reason. So, um, yeah, menthol adds a certain and amount what's of flavor. The goal? What's the goal? It's Wellness Wednesday. So you, you pull on a cigarette and we're going to get to your story. I'm, I'm setting it up. So you pull, you, do you smoke, by the way, cigarettes? No, no, no. Okay. Why? Because it's bad. You you do heroin, but you don't smoke wow. cigarettes. We we, we got to come back to that, right, Karen? That's Let's crazy. Come that. Let's come as, back as to the that. Kids say on Twitter, "That's wild AF." And <laughs> you've done all this other stuff, but you do not mess with cigarettes. That that says it all. That's crazy. That's no. Crazy. I mean, you. I'm an athlete. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I I worry about. I I, I really he worries uh, about his health. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, this is absolutely. crazy. All right, so tell us. All right, tell us what the cigarettes actually for all y'all who smoke. My daddy started smoking at age ten, uh. So I know it's highly addictive, and he smoked until he got cancer, and then smoked a little bit through the cancer, and then it was like the chemo's too much. I got to stop smoking. That's how crazy cigarettes are. So. My brother and I are like, nah, we're good with the cigarettes. Yes, uh, you know, whenever, in no disrespect to anybody for what they're doing, that's no judgment. But 
whenever you are sucking burning weeds down your throat, that's not a good thing. I mean, whether even uh, even if it's tobacco or even if it's marijuana, there are ways to deliver drugs that you don't have to uh, put yourself in cardiovascular risk. And smoking or sucking burning weeds down your throat is, is, is not the best thing for health. Um, and so like when we think about drugs, uh, like your question, your earlier question about like, when is heroin a lifestyle kind of issue? It's, it's not a lifestyle. The, the, the thing that, that's a lifestyle for me is uh, knowledge, and treating people well, uh, but but at the same token, uh, I'll have a drink of alcohol uh, to be social, or I may uh, I wanted to know everything about the drugs that I study, whether it's cocaine, whether it's methamphetamine, whether it's MDMA, whether it's heroin, and so part of that is knowing what they do. I certainly have smoked a cigarette before, and I know what that's like. I certainly, of course, have used heroin, but people focus on the heroin because that's the American boogeyman. That's the thing that we, we think of someone shooting a drug in their vein. I never shot a drug. I mean, again, because um, uh, I'm kind of afraid of needles myself and it's harder to have clean works. It's a lot easier to do some of the other sort of uh, routes of administration. Also, shooting a drug, you really have to be a will experience user, and, and I'm not. Uh, and, and so um, I'm, uh, it's not the safest thing for me to do personally. And so I hope that other people understand that sort of thing. So, it, so this, this is not necessarily a lifestyle. It's just one of the things that I do as part of my life. So the first time you used heroin was as research, not recreationally um I, I, uh, it, it was my own personal research yeah my own personal research all of these drugs were my own personal I needed to know what they did uh, I what administered form, these, uh, what form did you take the heroin was it uh, uh, intranasal intranasal is a dose uh, is, a, is a form that it gets into the bloodstream quickly uh, you don't have to inject. You don't have to smoke. Um, it's uh, it's almost as rapid as those other routes. Uh, whereas when you take a drug orally, uh, it goes through the, the esophagus, the stomach. It, it's broken down before it gets into the bloodstream. Before a drug can act, it has to get into the bloodstream. And so you've lost some of the drug if you take it orally, uh, except with alcohol. Alcohol is a little special. It's different uh, with alcohol. Because it, it, like, it breaches your lining of your stomach and it kind of like goes straight into your bloodstream. Alcohol has chemical properties that are, it's just ideal for uh, getting into the brain, into the bloodstream, because it's so small, it's such a small chemical that there is like no barrier between the brain and the blood, whereas with these other drugs, there are barriers. Uh, so alcohol is, is, is kind of special in that way. But if we can go back to the pain patients and, and our sort of opioid crisis, the thing that I'm really worried about is that our hysteria, our, our overreaction to opioids in this country has caused a lot of pain patients who are who have been on opioids for years and they've been treated successfully and they're able to live a, a life that's worth living. They've been cut off now because of our uh, overreaction and, and all of those people, they're suffering. And a number of them have committed suicide and nobody's talking about this sort of thing. And we also know that when black people are in pain, they are far less likely to be prescribed opioids than their white counterparts. This, been, this has been documented in research 
over and over. Um, and, and that doesn't get talked about enough, uh, these people who are out there suffering with uh, chronic pain issues. 866-801-8255. All right, your, your origin story. My Dr. origin Martin. story? My yeah, origin story? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you mean like uh, where I came from? I, I didn't tell you? No, no. How you got into, because you, you, you were raised in the church. You know, oh, you on my back. Went to school. I'm sorry. You, yeah, you went. You got a PhD. You went through all of these things. You, uh, Karen, you, you know, my, my bad. I'm sorry. I, you know, okay. we've been we've been talking. So I just like think like I'm talking to you in my head always. My bad. It's my bad. So um, <laughs> I would love and, to know, know what that looks like. No, What's uh, that so conversation <laughs> in terms in terms of like how I started studying drugs. You know, I grew up in the hood in Miami in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, went to the Air Force in 84. Uh, when I was in the Air Force, everybody was talking about crack. And so uh, I came back to the crib and that's all you heard about. And so one of the things I wanted to do was learn more about crack and other drugs. And so I went to school, studied uh, neurobiology, tried to figure out how uh, drugs like crack affected the brain. And my goal was to uh, figure out a way to cure crack addiction. Then I thought that I would be curing all the problems in the hood uh, once I could figure out how the brain was interacting with cocaine. And then that would be it. So that's how I got into this, thinking that I was going to cure drug addiction. And I was going to learn enough about the brain to cure drug addiction. And then, you know, I learned that after 30 years of study, that you know the, the 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 cure is not in the the brain or understanding the brain. The cure is the same things that we know. People are catching hell, and we ignore that by saying that if it wasn't for crack, your community wouldn't be doing so bad. And that's just not true, uh, because the communities were were doing bad before crack and after crack. Uh, so it's the same old things. But so that's the, how I got involved. So the involved. solution. The solution is to remove the oppression, to remove the 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 weight so that people can live happy lives because people are taking these drugs to escape and then they get hooked. They're taking these drugs to escape. No, no. I, the, the solution is um, for everyone in our so for my humanity as a black man to be the same as the humanity uh, as a white woman in this country. That's the solution, making sure that we are treated, our humanity is the same. Like Derek Chauvin would not be in trial today if he put his neck, his knee on the neck of a white woman. And we know this and we act as if uh, that ain't the case. And, and so that's the solution for us to stop lying as a country and to face these things head on. That's the solution. And, what, and, and people will always use psychoactive substances and that's fine. As long as they are responsible, they treat people well, and they respect other people's humanity. That's where the focus should be. Yo, I, you always give us something to think about, but I think that uh, what, what I find most compelling about when you share a word is that uh, you kind of make us rec recognize humanity in people who do things that we do not do. Right. Like I will never use heroin. I will never use. And I even hate how troglodyte this will sound. I will never use what the world considers hard drugs. But after hearing from you on this, I will never look at those who do in the same way. And I think that that is there's something that's remarkably uh, affirming and uplifting to everybody. If we would to if we would consider looking at folks the way you do. 
uh, and particularly drug users in the way that you have highlighted them. So uh, I always appreciate hearing your expertise, brother, brother Carl. Uh, Don, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and Karen. Uh, you know, and I will be forever grateful for you, you, you too. So uh, you have a special place in my heart. And whenever you call, you know I'm here. I was going to say, you, you, I want to have you back because uh, lines are lit. And I didn't think it was fair to for people to tell these r very personal stories and give them only a minute or so because uh, we have to wrap. But uh, yes, yes, Dr. Hart, you know, we have to figure out how to love people who are different. You know, we have to figure out how to love people who do not think the same way that we think. And I think, you know, many ways uh, this is modeling that because while we're all black, we don't all think the same about the same things. And that is special in and of itself because we're not monolithic. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you. Thank you Drug all. Use, Drug Use for Grownups is the book. <laughs>